Just before we start, I feel that we just need to kind of take a moment. I don't know about you, but at the moment, I feel like the BBC News website should have a, an 18 certificate. Anybody feeling like that? Just like reading one thing after another after another that just is horrific, isn't it? It's kind of, I think this summer will be summed up, won't it, as lovely weather, horrible news. That's kind of pretty much it, isn't it? So as I start to talk on this amazing passage, which I absolutely love, and I'm sure a lot of you do as well, I think it's really good, isn't it, to think that actually we've got good news. We've got something that is different from uh, what's coming through on the website and the radio and the newspapers and just in social media and around us. So many uh, catastrophes, so many doom mongers speaking out there that we can actually hear a voice that's good and that's got good news. So there you go, just putting that out there to, to begin. Um, so, introduction. I'm Pete. I'm married to Jenny, who came up here just now to talk about Alpha, and I think she spoke, she did speak a few weeks ago, um, and I think referenced the wonderful husband in there at some point, I, I'm pretty sure. Um, and we have three children. We, have, we like to sort of st spread out parenting. So we have a, uh, a son who is 22, and he's just graduated from Bristol. It's very exciting. Um, and then we have Emily, who is 15, and Henry, who is 12, who's here. I'm not embarrassed at all to be mentioned. Um, uh, so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at every one, every day, everywhere. I think that's the right word. Um, and we've heard some great talks, and I would just recommend really to you to listen back um, if you have missed some of them. I'm guessing quite a few of us have. We've been on holiday and here, there, and everywhere. Some really good talks on from people from different backgrounds, uh, medical, uh, from police, uh, from, what does Andy do? Politics, there you go, yeah, so a good range of things. I'm kind of representing the kind of education bit. I'm a, a teacher, or just started as a head teacher um, a year ago in a small primary school near where we live in Ottery St. Mary. Little shout out for Ottery St. Mary. Anybody seen the tar barrels? Anybody been to the tar barrels? If you haven't been, you must go. I don't care where you live in the country. November the 5th this year, get yourself down to Ottery. It's something that has to be seen to be believed. Okay, so. Yeah, teaching, uh, just a very quick kind of catch-up on um, my journey into it, I guess. I uh, took a year out after university, went to Uganda with YWAM, and um, the time came, I'd been putting it off a long, I did a year out before uni as well, time came to actually have to uh, choose a job. And um, I got my parents to send through the application form for being a solicitor, which is kind of where I thought I was headed, and I got to the box where it said, why do you want to be a solicitor? Uh, I just thought, I don't want to be a solicitor. Sorry, Rob, if you're here. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, it just didn't, didn't get me. And actually, during that year, I felt like I'd just been spoken to uh, about uh, teaching. And this was something I'd sworn I would not go into. Both my parents, who are here tonight, just a little wave for them, uh, are both teachers and warned me off it. But still, uh, I just felt this call. And uh, yeah. I felt that I should uh, go into teaching. But it wasn't that simple. I thought it was going to be a simple case of just applying for a PGCE and hopping on the bandwagon getting going. But actually, it turned into about uh, six years of a journey of uh, applying, being knocked back, partly because of the degree I did didn't fit with teaching. Um, and our family circumstances, we got married, we had a child. Um, and it was a very lonely kind of six years. Just going to take a drink. It was a very lonely six years. We, um, 
ended up uh, married and with our first son quite soon in our marriage. Um, we lived in a council house in uh, the east of Leeds, quite a rough area. And a lot of our friends, a lot of our Christian friends, were just starting to get married, were uh, going straight into prosperous careers, having a lot of money, enjoying a kind of pre-child existence. And we felt really lonely, really isolated, and um, had uh, you know not a lot of money and, and not had that sort of job with status and that kind of thing. And that um, has really stayed with me as a really powerful kind of time where actually we realize that our value is in God and not in our money, not in our status. Um, and I find in my job now, it's a really important uh, empathy that I can have with people who uh, are in a similar kind of situation to what we were in uh, those years ago. So the journey went on. There were lots of uh, hurdles, but eventually on my 30th birthday, I started teaching. Uh, spent a few years teaching in Leeds, and then we moved down uh, to Devon, and we've been down here for 15 years now. So there you go. But yeah, about a year ago, started as a head, which was a journey in itself, but that's for another time. So let's get back to the prodigal son. I have to say, this feels like a sort of um, kind of fantasy church service for me because we sang Over the Mountains and the Sea, which is my all-time favorite song ever. Um, and now we're reading the all-time favorite passage as well, and I'm, I'm talking. Amazing. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of background to the story of the prodigal son. Um, I'm imagining most of us are probably pretty familiar with this one. But um, if you haven't worked it out already, this is a story that Jesus told. Jesus liked to speak in stories uh, to kind of draw people in, I think, to get them really thinking and perhaps not to be quite so direct at uh, people who needed to kind of challenge. So in the story, we have the father, which is representing God. We have um, an older son. And a younger son. We have a younger son who really represents us in our rebellion from God. We're running away from him. We're doing, indulging ourselves, and just completely living away from him. But interestingly, we also have an older son who is kind of apparently doing all the right things, really devout, really religious, working hard in the, the, the family home, but he's missed it. They've both missed the father. And that's a, a key phrase for us to kind of hold on to. They've both missed the father. I was thinking about getting two chairs here, but I think we'll have to sort of imagine these speakers are, this is older son over here, and this is younger son over here. So one last point to make about the original story is just how shocking this would have been in uh, Jewish culture. So to go to your father and say, I want my inheritance, was basically like saying, Dad, I want you dead. I basically would like life to be as though you were dead. I want my money. I want to go off. Really, really shocking. And not only that, but the audience that were listening uh, to this would have known that there was a Jewish custom called kazaza, I think it's pronounced. Um, and this was that if anybody should do that, if they ever tried to come back and kind of be reunited with their family, the whole community would go out to them as they were coming towards the village and stand there, smash a jar symbolically, and banish that person forever and say, you are completely excommunicated from this village. You will not come back. You will have nothing to do with your family or this community. You have disgraced us all. Go. So we kind of today slightly miss that sense, I think. We kind of see, we've seen all those kind of Hollywood films, haven't we, with the big uh, reuniting of characters at the end. But this was 
the context in which Jesus was speaking. This was the, the, what the audience would have been feeling. So actually, what the words were of the older son was probably what the people around listening to this story would have been thinking. Now, I was thinking about this story in the context of, as we've been doing over the last few weeks, about our work. And I was thinking, actually, there's a sense in which the older son, the younger son, kind of represent a bit of what we're like in our work. I don't know if you'll track with me on this, but this is what I was kind of feeling with it. I was feeling like, actually, older son kind of represents that kind of desire to get value from our work, from our job. It represents that sense of um, perhaps fear of authority, of, of absolutely wanting to do the right thing, being seen to be perfect in, in doing my job and getting everything done, um, but somehow missing the, the heart, missing the joy of, of what that work should be. And the youngest son over here is kind of where I would relate in my journey at least to that sense of actually, if you're over here, it's a pretty miserable existence. And as the older son was saying in the story, He's getting pretty angry, isn't he? He's really disappointed. And actually, what seems to happen, I've seen happen, is that you kind of start over here, and then when you get really disillusioned, you end up over here, and you start thinking, I'm just going to indulge myself. I don't care anymore. My boss doesn't value what I'm doing. I'm just going to go and live for myself, live for my pension, uh, live for the holidays, and just survive in the job, and it, it just loses a soul. So I was thinking this is quite a nice little illustration, thinking about our working life. So, for me personally, you may have heard of uh, something called Ofsted. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> mentioned, uh, mentioned that to you before, but that is something that I have spent far too much of my teaching career uh, fearing and worrying about. And so, that, that for me is this kind of older son, oh my goodness, I've got to, this standard is up here, I've got to achieve all these things. If I don't do these, I'm, I'm dead, I'm out of here. Um, and of course, what happens probably took me a shorter time than others because I'm not such a talented teacher, but I was just thinking, I can't, I cannot be where they want us to be. I can't look at the expectations for good teaching and hit that note all the time. And so what happens? I start drifting over here and I'm just surviving and I'm living for the holidays and I'm waiting for the pension. So it's easy to do. Is, it, is this kind of ringing any bells with anybody? Does this kind of sound familiar with your work? I hope, I hope you're uh, tracking here. So Really, as Christians as well, this can be a similar kind of picture, can't it? We can feel like older son with God. We've got these standards that we need to live to as a Christian. Uh, we know all the things we should not do. We know our Ten Commandments. And yet, we find sooner or later, if we're real with ourselves, we realize we're not measuring up. We're not doing it. And then there's this temptation, isn't there, to head off over here and think, well, I just can't do it. I'm not, you know, God's not pleased with me or I haven't seen a joy in doing this, so I'm just going to go and indulge myself. I'm going to go and be the younger son. So this kind of drifting across from a kind of older son approach and a younger son approach, I think is really easy to get into. I think we can kind of bounce between those two things. So what's the solution? At uh, this moment, I'm going to pause dramatically and have a drink. The four Ps. See if you can guess what they are. I'm hearing a few, uh, few guesses there. Okay, so my four Ps, which I'm sure are not original, are posture, presence, power, and purpose. So... I think to counter this kind of zinging between these kind of approaches to life and to our spiritual relationship with God, to our work, um, 
what kind of brings us back to that kind of central point, to that father, coming back to the father? The first thing is posture. And for me, posture is this. It's getting on your knees. Both sons kind of effectively were on their knees before their dad, weren't they? One in repentance and one in anger and frustration and resentment. Now, we kind of think this is the spiritual response and this isn't. But actually, I think both are a really good place to start with God because both sons were being real, weren't they? This one was absolutely ready to just, yeah, I have completely messed up. This one is showing his true emotions. He's probably been bottling this up, hasn't he, for quite a while about how angry he feels about everything. But he's suddenly, he's being real with his dad. So the first thing, posture, on your knees, getting in position with God where you're being real. And then the most exciting bit of all, this is the the bit that I really feel I, I share with you, and it's the heart, isn't it, of this whole story, is presence, remembering who God is, the presence of God. And it's been lovely. I know maybe for some type A's, it's been frustrating maybe to spend a long time just seeking God over this last year as a church. But this is such an important and key thing, isn't it, for us to meet with our Father. Because when we do that, two things happen. One, we realize who he is. We remember who he is, and so easy to forget that. The other is that we remember who we are, and we uh, realize our place in all of this. If you've done Alpha recently, little plug for Alpha, um, you might have remembered the story uh, that I think really encapsulates this. This is of a, a picture. I was going to put it up, but I didn't think it would quite work. There's a, a very famous painting by a, a painter called Francesco Lippi, I think, called The Virgin and Child. Very famous painting. But a lot of people have been puzzled. I think it hangs in the National Portrait Gallery. No, not Portrait Gallery. What it would be? don't know. One of the galleries in London, anyway. Um, and um, a lot of people were really puzzled because the perspective seemed all wrong. Couldn't understand it at all. Um, and then a well-known art critic was puzzling over this one day and suddenly realized that what he needed to do was fall to his knees, that the painting had been painted to hang in a chapel, not in a gallery, and that actually, as you went to your knees, the perspective came, the picture came into place, and it made sense. Okay? So... As we do that presence, as we are on our knees and we are real with God and we come into his presence, it's like a recalibrating going on. How do we do that? How do we enter God's presence? Really, it's a mystery because if we could pin it down, it would be a peer relationship, wouldn't it? We would just be um, you know, talking almost as, a, as another fellow human being. So sometimes we can really feel God close. Sometimes he seems far away. But the way that we do this is so important. It's so important to be reading our Bible. It's so important to be praying, uh, to seeking that, just that renewing of our mind so that we can remember who we are. Nathan, uh, in his talk a few weeks ago, said about God uh, cannot love us less. He can't love us any more. And that's so true of this, isn't it? Just to remember how much we are loved. And I think especially at the moment with the news that is zinging around at the moment, the the horrific sort of headlines going on, wow, there's a world out there that needs this kind of peace and security and confidence and knowledge that they are loved, that there's something real that they can hang their lives on. So how much more do we need to be doing that to enable that message to get out there, to people to see that in us?
Okay. So I would really um, encourage you, if this is something that resonates with you, if you feel like you have not experienced that incredible love of the Father, this is a great moment to get prayed for. Do please come at the end and receive and uh, just be prayed for to get that knowledge because that is so crucial to everything for you in your life. Okay, the third P, power. There's no power without presence. And this is sometimes, I think, something that we, um, as Christians, particularly as we move on in our relationship with God, we forget to hang on for the presence. We forget to really seek God uh, before we experience his power and move in power. We need to have spent that time. But the power is in the Holy Spirit. In the story, the younger son receives his ring and his cloak uh, when he returns uh, to the father. The symbols of authority, the symbols of power. As we come before God, as we spend time in his presence, we can receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises that that gift will be ours. Everybody who comes to the father through me receive this Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think we diminish how powerful the Holy Spirit is. We will be able to do, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the works of Jesus, speak the words of Jesus, and incredible, incredible things. And sometimes I think we almost take, it becomes a bit prosaic and a bit routine and a bit religious, a bit older brother again, and we forget the amazing power that we can have. And the lovely thing, the wonderful thing about this power and this ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's a corporate thing as well as in our own uh, individual times with God. So we can pray for each other to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as church, it's a really important thing for us to build as community, to pray for each other and uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. Okay, that's my third P. Final P is purpose. So we've gone through, we've uh, posture, we're turning back to God, whether we're out of anger and frustration, whether out of blatant rebellion and shame, we're turning back to God, we're seeking his presence, we're receiving his power, and now we're equipped for purpose. I like to think about the story of the prodigal son one year on. What would these two brothers have been like a year after those events in the story? I kind of imagine that there would be times when they'd revert to type, when the older brother would just be looking glaringly at the younger brother, when the younger brother would be tempted to head off and not uh, do his, his work. But I think, actually, there was something that was captivating in that story for both of them. I think they both would have been in the father's house and they would have got something from that moment. They would have realized, I think the penny drops for both of them. So I think the younger son might have walked past the pigsty and had a little shiver, but then felt that ring on his finger and thought, no, no, I'm, I'm okay. Maybe even the older son might have got on the dance floor. Who knows? Who knows? So our purpose, Matthew 28 is really clear, isn't it? That we go into all the world. We make disciples of nations. It's a big, big purpose that we uh, share as Christians. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit and power that he will be with us. But there's an elephant in the room here, isn't there? We struggle with this. When I know myself that I find it hard to make a disciple of me, let alone all nations, um, it kind of feels like it comes down to earth with a bit of a bump, doesn't it? But it doesn't have to. A few years ago, um, we were part of a group that met, and Sam Randall, 
was uh, doing a talk, and she was challenging us about just trying to take a step out of our comfort zone. Yes, okay, to see uh, somebody raised from the dead, maybe that's a bit beyond your faith, but what about to uh, pray for somebody? What about to just share a little bit of your story with somebody that you walked to school with? And she got us to write a card to ourselves to challenge ourselves to do one thing. And uh, the thing that I chose was about praying with somebody that I knew who wasn't a Christian. That was my challenge. Now, I um, wrote this card dutifully, and I think we had to... I can't remember if we literally posted it. Anyway, we, we got it back at home, and I had it by my bedside table. I was doing the, doing the right thing, doing the right thing over here. And, um, but I didn't really rate my chances. I thought, am I really going to be talking to somebody who's not a Christian? Where do, do I offer to pray? I'm not really into doing that kind of thing. Anyway, weirdly, coincidentally, God incidentally, uh, the next day at school, end of the day, a parent um, who I knew a little bit from out of school came up to me and... Um, basically shared a really tragic situation that had happened in their family. That um, social services had been involved, he'd basically been kicked out of the house, uh, there'd been an allegation of violence, but actually this had come from a friend of one of his children, so not directly from uh, one of the, his own family. Um, so he was having to sleep rough in his van, um, and I thought, mm. and you know when you just get that little feeling, I thought, yeah, okay, right. So I said to him, look, you know, do you want to meet for a beer tonight? And uh, he agreed. So uh, that evening, um, yeah, I, I still can't believe I did this. But anyway, <laughs> that evening we were meeting for a beer. And just to put into context who this guy is, this is probably he was on my, on my list of sort of non-Christians to share my faith with. He was right down at the bottom. Big, scary, sweary, rugby bloke. Uh, deaf, you know, I'd heard him talk before about religion in really disparaging terms. And, and uh, yeah, not, not the kind of guy you would easily uncomfortably do that with anyway so we're, we're chatting at the pub and I just felt this overwhelming feeling I, I need this is the moment this is the person and this is this is my small step that I need to take and it was like a kind of out-of-body experience I felt my mouth moving saying these words saying, don't say it don't say it but I did I spoke I just said look can I pray for you and amazingly he said yeah and I said um can I put a hand on your shoulder is that okay and uh, he agreed and I said a prayer and I don't think it was a particularly complicated prayer I think I just prayed for peace and I prayed for a resolution for the situation amen and uh, we opened our eyes and he said oh, I've just felt a real peace I can't believe it I've just been feeling so wound up by this and I just feel I feel a real peace and uh, tried not to look surprised um, but yeah, amazing. So I went off really, uh, really pleased by that. Uh, went home, and uh, then the next day, again, at the end of the day at school, he came in and he said, Pete, you'll never guess what, the social worker that we had on our case, who I thought really hated me, she's just disappeared, she's gone. And she's been replaced by another social worker, and I got chatting to this social worker, and I mentioned that I'd met with you and that you'd prayed for me, and it turns out she was a Christian. She was happy for him to return home for me to be... Uh, a kind of chaperone because we lived fairly nearby um, for him to be able to be back in in the house and that I would sort of chaperone and be the, the, the point of contact amazing and I, I subsequent to that over about the next I think it was about a year or so uh, we met and prayed and read the bible together and um, we did we had a, a small kind of bible study with a few other dads in the town and uh, I can just remember every time just thinking 
praying for this guy. I can't be. <laughs> What's going on? What's he doing in my, this part of my life? It was amazing. Um, so, yeah, just really to encourage you, you know, I, I am not some super evangelist. I'm not some super gifted uh, guy. But, you know, God used me. He can use you. And, you know, in that cycle of those four Ps, wow, it's amazing what God can do when we just kind of put our hand up. So um, in a more kind of day-to-day way, as I said, I started in September uh, as a head of a small primary school. Um, And I keep telling people it was a bit like going from a kind of nice, smooth ocean liner, just being a sort of lieutenant on that, everything nice and steady, suddenly getting into a lifeboat and everything's... (laughs) So small school headship is not dull. I'll I'll give it that. Um, But every day, I find myself praying for wisdom. I find praying, uh, myself praying for God's presence just to be with me um, each day. And amazingly, I get this picture almost immediately every time I pray this, which is God just putting a crown on my head. It's incredible. It's like a sense of him just authority. It's like the ring on the finger. It feels like it's just this authority. No, I've put you here. I put you in this school. And uh, yeah, the, the answers to those prayers have just been amazing. So, this stuff, this God stuff, this doing the stuff, as John Wimber used to call it, you know, it's not impossible, though it might feel it. You know, we have the presence of God. We have the Holy Spirit. And as we keep on praying for the Holy Spirit to fill us, we have it. It's not comfortable. It's never comfortable. And it's always on that edge, isn't it? Of just not comfortable, but it's not impossible. So, just to... Uh, recap those four P's, so the, the, the posture of just getting on our knees. And I, I'd like you maybe just to take a moment, just think about this for yourself. Where are you in that cycle? Is, which of those four P's do you find easy to do? Is there something that you struggle with? Is there something that just kind of has risen up for you tonight, perhaps? So just getting on your knees, whether it's in, uh, in repentance, whether it's in anger and frustration and disappointment, But it's so important to give it to God. He's big enough. He can take those things. Or is it getting into his presence? Is it just giving him time to remind you who you are, who he is? Is that what you need to take more time for? Is it the power? Are you not really believing that actually the presence of God lives in you by his Holy Spirit? And actually that means awesome stuff. Or is it purpose? Have you kind of forgotten that actually you've got to use this stuff and actually that's part of it it's an organic process it goes around but the big point really is this thinking about which son you might be remembering really the message is the same isn't it we come to the father and his love is unconditional he didn't judge that older son did he for giving the non-politically correct responses he didn't say right that's it you're out he, he reminded him, no, all of this is yours as well. You're part of my family. So no shame wherever you're coming from. So I think it would be good for us, just as we start a ministry time, that if, perhaps if we just stand. So if you'd, I just invite you to stand. And I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, to fill us afresh, to equip and anoint us, to remind us who we are, who God is, 
what this power is that lives in us and our purpose in this world. So you might find it helpful just to hold out your hands. You don't have to, but it's a good way of just remembering you're receiving a wonderful gift as we pray this. So I just pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. more of your presence, Lord, more of you. When we invite the Holy Spirit, sometimes you might feel something. You might feel a warmth inside or a tingling on your fingers. You might feel your body just kind of gently swaying. You might not feel anything, but that's okay. His presence is here.